Summing up for the Africa Business Report, the Africa Business Correspondent from the Mapun Gubwe Hotel in Marshalltown, Victor Khomeswana. Tell me about the Mapun Gubwe Hotel. I've never been there before. It's a beautiful hotel, I've got to say. It's a fair-city hotel, so it's one of those places, Bruce, where you, you relax because it's in the hustle and bustle of the city next to the mining houses, as you know, the Anglo-Americans and everyone is around here. But, yeah, it, it's one of those places where when you hear about urban renewal and the inner city renewal, you see exactly what people are talking about. Brilliant, brilliant project. Because next to it are fancy apartments that have been built, the Dogon and all those other apartments that came as a result of the urban yeah. city renewal. Yeah, so it's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful initiative and establishment. I'm proud to see an hotel like this in Johannesburg. Excellent. Nice to have you there this evening, Victor. Tell me about oil and Ethiopia. We don't think much of it, but if you know, Bruce, you and I have talked about Tala Oil a lot. The, that Irish company listed in London that's got oil operations in Ghana, among other places, and Uganda. They have explored even in Ethiopia, but this time is a new UK-based company called Delonix Energy Limited. I don't know it. It acquired some oil exploration blocks in the Ogaden Basin. The Ogaden Basin is more in the southeastern parts of Ethiopia, more or less where the desert could be, and is an oil and gas exploration company focused on this continent, but they are talking about an area that is bigger, it's not bigger than Houting, 28,000 or so, 29,000 square kilometers. But the interesting thing is how they are funded. The $600 million investment capital from Warburg Pinkers, a renowned global private equity firm in New York, the IFC, which is the private sector arm of the World Bank Group. So they are headquartered in London, and they are just showing that although Talo Oil might not have made the find they wanted in Ethiopia, Ethiopia. There's not a country that you look away from. But again, it's the attempt of the Ethiopian government to diversify the economy and rely less on hydro, power, energy and agriculture. Uh, okay, that's cool. And then there's nice trade going on always in East Africa. But what I like about what they're doing in East Africa is they're making it easier and easier and easier for themselves to do business. The East African, the Customs Union Protocol, and you know, you have been saying I'm, I'm a little biased, and I am biased, because <laughs> when I see economic blocks try, Bruce, to make business easy to, to, to operate in, I get excited. And you know, proof of what I'm saying, you know that there are only three countries in, Af- in Africa that would, be, would have switched over to digital by the end of the year, and all of them are in, in the East African bloc. Tanzania have already done it, Rwanda have already done it, Uganda will be next, but what I'm saying here is they have made a positive impact. That union, the common customs union protocol, having a positive impact, which has grown the economy of the region from $2 billion in 2005 to $5.5 billion in 2013. That's more than, I mean, you think about it, $2 billion in 2005, $5.5 billion in 2013. That's more than double the size. Yeah, no, they're, they're doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, again, the Kenya's growth is slowing, which is a bit concerning. Well, they're, they're revising it f- focus. They're, they're revising it downwards because of the talk. You and I spoke, speak about this, the Al-Shabaab, the bombings, the Westgate bombing that happened last year. The projection was they would grow by 5.8%. They have revised that down to 5%. And that's the Cabinet Secretary of National Treasury saying the implementation of both of programs at different levels have dampened the growth prospects. But in the end, you know, the World Bank was already uh, raised 
raising a red flag by that being less optimistic but you know that it's all about the uncertainty the tourism not doing as well yeah. as it as it could have done bruce uh, Nigeria increasingly looking east for trade. I think everybody in Africa who's got a view on 20 years from now is looking east. They, they, you are going to have to. 14 Asian countries, their trade concluding about the, from the current 40 billion. They have concluded plans to raise the volume of their trade from about $40 billion to $80 billion within the next two years. Remember, if you're Africa's largest economy, you need to think about channels and outlets for whatever it is you're producing. Now, the reason Asia could make more, so much sense, Bruce, is Nigeria has been trying to diversify and rely less on oil. And one of the major sectors they are promoting is agriculture. And if you think about the population of India and of China alone, you're talking close to 3 billion people. And if you can produce food, and China has a crisis already of not having enough arable land or needing to produce food at a higher pace than they can. So this is where Nigeria, I think, would be looking at. They have been exporting cassava chips already. They have been trying to do a whole lot of things, attracting young Nigerians into agriculture, and they seem to be succeeding. And perhaps this is why they would have concluded these plans, Bruce. Okay, and then Ebola, of course, uh, looking, I mean, causing all sorts of bother across the African continent, not just in East Africa, but it's actually causing the Nigerians to rethink their own growth rates. They had to rethink it. If you think about it, they were projecting they would grow by 7%, which is something we would take down here in South Africa anytime, even after the downward adjustment. But they have adjusted it down by 0.5%. If you say, well, 0.5% is not much for 2014, Nigeria's economy is huge. You are the largest economy on the continent, not 0.5% compromised because of a disease, a viral infection that nobody can control. That's something. And of course, the reason is also terrorist attacks. We've talked about Boko Haram. But the real one would be, Bruce, the freezing of travel that has been created by yeah. the Ebola virus more than anything else. But it just shows you that nothing is ever irrelevant to the world of economics and business. Uh, absolutely not. And that, uh, well, let's finish then with copper. Uh, we was in Zambia recently. You were seeing how important copper and tourism are to the Zambian economy. Uh, copper is something that Anglo-American opted out of in Zambia probably a decade ago. Um, but lots of Chinese investors making money out of copper. And copper is a great export commodity for Zambia. But the price is under some pressure. It's under some pressure, but there's African rainbow minerals here that you know about a South African company, Lubambe, Lubambe Copper Mine, which has reported its annual production increasing by more than 8,000 tons in the year to June 30th. So this 60% increase pleasing Patrice Mozepe, among other people, who said as executive chairman of African rainbow minerals that the mine aims to reach a production target of 45,000 tons of finished copper in 2016. So yes, Commodity prices will always wreak havoc on some economy or another, especially if you are exporting raw minerals. But I think at least if they are getting productivity higher, we would be envious of them, Bruce. There we go, Victor Homeswana on the line to us from the Mapungubwe Hotel in Marshalltown, downtown Johannesburg. Um, I think everybody's just loving his book and uh, is getting Victor to come and talk to them about his book, Africa is Open for Business.